What's going on? It's time for another episode of Too Hard for the Radio, transmitting from the future free state of greater Idaho. I am the one-armed madman. And with me today, we've got, he's back, Daniel Steele in the house. How we doing, brother? Doing great. How are you doing? Doing good, man. I, uh, been, it's been a busy summer. Busy summer. Yeah. It's been hot as hell up here, so I haven't gotten nearly as much work done as I've wanted to, but I had a nice day two days ago, so I got like... I would say like three days worth of hundred degree weather in last last oh, wow. week, so that was pretty nice. How about you? You you've uh, had yourself a little road trip this summer? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm starting a new job in October, and um, so we like we bought an RV and uh, tried to do a summer trip. Learned a few things along the way. One, um, when you buy an RV, you're supposed to take it out seven to 10 times because they all have problems when you get them. And two, just because you bought a Mercedes chassis doesn't mean that you bought a Mercedes vehicle. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's been quite the adventure. We got, we did get to spend some time in Idaho, West Yellowstone. Nice. Had a, my buddy's dad, um, he worked in uh, doing food for casinos. So like he opened Planet Hollywood. He turned the stratosphere around before they sold. And um, sometime during the pandemic, he got a job offer up there. So now he's a partner at a resort. So we stayed up there for a few days. Um, funny enough, it was the first time we opened up our awning because we were set up permanently. And um, the day we take off, I'm just driving down the road and my buddy's dad's calling me. He's like, hey, dude, your fucking awning's open. <laughs> I hear it snapped and the thing flew off. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so I learned that I needed to make a, a like a teardown checklist every time. I right. Left. Uh, <laughs> I, I grew up in a motorhome, so I was a motocross racer. So we got a motorhome when I was like a freshman in high school. I think we, when we started doing races, like you think you're going to go to a dirt bike race. Oh, that'll be fun. We'll load up the pickup and go have a good time. Oh, no, no, no. There's millions and millions. Well, not so much anymore. Like it's still, you know, a rich person sport, but the economy's gone down so much since the early 2000s that like the motorhome crowd is significantly shrank. But yeah, man, I grew up in a motorhome. It we had a lot of fun tricks that we would do. So like we have one of our our bins would open up and we had a TV in it so you could sit outside and underneath the the awning cool. and watch the TV. But we also had off of the tree. Yeah. So like but also <laughs> I was I was a, a teenager when we had this thing. So once I turned like 16, my parents didn't try to control me. It was like here's your truck, here's your phone, just like try and make sure and let us know that you're not dead. So they would actually let me go to the motocross track and me and my buddies would load up the motorhome. And we had, we had probably the cheapest class a motorhome you could buy at the time. It didn't have a backup camera. It had a rear view window. So we're talking like a 32 foot motorhome with a rear view mirror going out the window. So we had it set up. We had this little trailer that would only fit a couple of bikes and we had two flags on the outside of the little trailer. And essentially while you're backing up, as long as you can see the flags, you're good. As soon as okay. you can see the trailer, you're fucked and you got to start over completely. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's fun. I would have honestly during COVID while real estate was at, at its highest here in Idaho, if I had access to property, I would have sold my house, bought a motor home, hung out on the property for a couple years and now bought in at, at new prices. But you know, I, I loved it. So have you, have you guys enjoyed it or has it been just kind of a nightmare? So, um, the, we, you know, there's a lot of learning. Um, so that, that set us back a couple of days and I, I grew up in Michigan. My mom lives in Northern Michigan. So I wanted to make it out of there for 4th of July. So I, I was doing like nine, 10 hour days driving, um, set up, tear down same day. And like that, so that was really hard, like stressful. Do you guys um, have leveling yeah, jacks? Do you have leveling jacks? Yeah. Oh, we didn't have yeah, leveling jacks on ours. So we had to get under with like floor jacks and get the thing leveled okay. out every time, which was just a nightmare. So at least you got um, jacks. So we, we use this, app, there's this app called Harvest Host where you can stay at farms and wineries for free. Oh, cool. I from them. So we, that was really cool because we'd go from farm to farm and like some of the things that we were able to, some of the food and flavors that we were able to make, we'll never get again because mm -hmm. like these people sell online, we got to do really cool stuff with food. Um, it's 4th of July, we're at a winery. We get there at like noon, they close at four. So we sit and drink for four hours 
and go take a nap. It's 100 degrees out. Uh, wake up an hour later, the generator's out. So I had to drive half drunk to an <laughs> RV. Thing. And um, we couldn't find anybody to work on the generator. We finally got somebody in Louisville to do it. Or we finally found Cummins in Louisville. And they, you know, they, they replaced it uh, under warranty. But, you know, so we were out for 10 days without the RV. And then they're just like a laundry list of problems because we didn't test it really before we took off. Yeah. The people that we bought it from have a place here in Nashville um, and we, so we just dropped it off a couple of weeks ago when we got an Airbnb here in Nashville. Um, I, now we're looking at permanent places or permanent places here. Uh, we were, we're really liking it. We've, we've been able to get, I'd say about 85% of our food from local farms and businesses. Oh, and so like I've eating, I, I guess I could eat this while in Vegas, but it would cost about 400 bucks a day. Yeah. And I'm doing it. I know, like eight ten dollars a day worth of food yeah you know i guess proteins are a little more expensive but the the you know everything the soil is so rich here and you know so many nutrients that yeah. i just feel so much better too you know yeah no that's awesome i um now i forgot completely what i was gonna say oh i i buy my food so i essentially eat ribeyes every night because i've i've had so many health problems since i've been hurt and at one point i was like when i got hurt i was almost 200 pounds and then I think I was 220 or 230 when I got out of the hospital because they were just feeding you like crazy. And yeah. then I, I had some really gnarly medical issues, medication, like taking me off of medications, putting me on different stuff. So I got down to like 130, 125 pounds at one point, and they thought I was going to die. Like I was yeah. like the doctors really sugarcoat everything. And like this is how I really knew I was going to die is I did a, an eval for like my payment, my payout for workers comp a couple months ago. And I went yeah. and saw this doctor and he was just kind of going through all of my medical records. And at one point he called me after the appointment. And he goes, I'm going through your medical records right now. And I'm seeing that you were 120 pounds a couple years ago. Is this right? Like, I just saw you. This can't be right. And I'm like, yeah, it's right. And he goes, you're lucky to be alive. They thought you were going to die. And I go, he goes, I don't know how much they told you, but they thought you were going to die. They were going to put a feeding tube in you and you were gonna, you're dead. That's it. And I ended up. Like I went on some steroids and then I also did this antidepressant. Some doctor was just like, we're going to try this antidepressant, take it at night. And it, women don't like taking it because it makes them heavy. <laughs> and uh, oh, There I, you have it <laughs> back on. And at the same time though, I start, I switched my diet completely. This was like during COVID where this all came to a head. And I was really worried about like where I was going to get my food from. Like, is this going to get worse? How am I going to be able to get, is the, is the, Winco going to stop carrying meat. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. So essentially I found a local butcher shop that sells meat for about a buck a pound cheaper than, than Winco. And it's real meat. It's good yeah. meat. Like the craziest thing was when I, the first time I got a steak from there, I was cooking like in my house on the, on the frying pan, cooking these steaks and the Winco steak, the entire house would be smoked up. I'd have to have a fan on the door and just smoking up the entire freaking house. And I put one of those, these new steaks on and it burned like 50% cleaner. It was wild. It reminded me of like, I, I started a biodiesel company when I was young and dumb and thought that green was the way to go. And we built this engine to run on biodiesel. So we started up this diesel engine and, uh, I think it was smoking. It was, you know, leaking everywhere. It was loud, just earplugs in and we put and we switched it right over to b100 and within like 20 minutes the entire engine had quieted down all the seals had expanded so there was no more leaks in it and the exhaust was gone it was like holy crap how does how does this happen yeah <laughs> that's crazy so you, you eat a ribeye almost every day yeah you tried uh sous vide the process of doing a sous vide. I have not. I've heard of it. It's kind of like a boil in a in a bag, right? Right. So what you put? Um, I, I do it almost every day. Now. Oh, okay. Um, what what I do is I put olive oil seasoning. Uh, I put it in a Ziploc bag because the uh, and then I uh, shrink wrap it or vacuum seal it, mm -hmm. and then you put it in water at a hundred uh, ribeye 
you put it in at 125 degrees for four hours and it just cooks consistently at 125. So it breaks down the fats. It, it, it It's really cool on the safe. If you go too far, if you go over much over four hours, it breaks it down a little too much. And then I sear it in a cast iron uh-huh. and it's, it, I, it's the only way that we do it. Now. I'm going to have to try that. I do the sear on the cast iron, but then I just kind of cover it and turn it down to low and, yeah. and let heat. But what I do is I, I make my own butter every night. So I take about a, a stick of butter. I add a bunch of garlic, uh, rosemary and basil. And I just kind of get it going and let it foam up. And after I, I uh, sear the steak, I flip it over, drench it with butter sear it again on the other side. And by the time it's done, you get this, this butter foam that I make and you kind of sift it off the top and drop it on top of the rib. I swear. I tell people this all the time and they don't believe me. I cook a better steak in my kitchen than any restaurant that I've been to in Idaho. And they eat it and they're like, Holy crap, this is insane. (laughs) We, uh, my my mother-in-law came to town and we went out to dinner to this nice Italian place last night. And the guy was telling me about the way that they chose the balsamic that they're using now, like the way that they used to do it. They would do, they would, uh, um, with olive oil, they do a similar system to what you do with olive oil. And then they switched to this balsamic and this one olive oil. And he's like, you know, we went through hundreds of them. And if you dip the two together, you can kind of taste the grass notes in the Mm -hmm. olive oil. And so we, we did that bite and I'm like, Fuck man, no matter how good I get at finding ingredients, I'm never gonna have the time or expertise that these guys have. Oh, I know it's really it. fun to like search and explore and learn learn new techniques. Yeah. So I, I used to grow weed in Northern California. That was my thing. So I, I know a lot about weed. And yeah. like I'm trying to figure out at this point, like how am I gonna I, like I rent rooms out in my house, so I'm kind of break even right now. So I'm spending out of my savings. Like I had to get new tires for the car and shit like that. So I'm spending out of my savings. So I'm trying to figure out like, how am I going to make money and not be beholden to some fucking job that I'm going to have a hard time doing? Like I keep it together pretty good on the podcast, but this is one hour out of a 24 hour day. So like, <laughs> there's a lot of hours where you're like, yeah, this is not the same guy. And yeah. I I don't want to be beholden to a job. So my, my initial deal was like, what can I do like where I can use my skill set to make me money? And not get in trouble. So I start thinking like, all right, I've got beautiful roses out and out all around my house. Like the people that I bought my house from planted these beautiful rose bushes. A couple of them are like 20 years old. They're massive. So I go, I know how to, I know how to take clippings off of weed plants. I'm just going to start clipping rose plants. So I, I bought this greenhouse and I bought all the stuff to do it. And I've been watching like, I don't even know how many hours of YouTube videos I've watched at this point. And to think that like I came into this thinking like, Oh, I'll be able to crush this because I've grown weed before, like completely out the window. Like these guys are so good. I'm trying to pay attention to like every cut they make. And it just, I haven't nailed it yet. I haven't gotten one to survive yet, which I was not planning on. I was thinking, Oh, this guy's doing a thousand a year. I can do a couple hundred. Like that's, that can't be hard. I haven't gotten one yet. So do you think you'd be better at growing weed now with everything that you've learned from doing the roses? Probably. And also when I was growing weed, like back then weed was still illegal. YouTube was not big yet. And everybody kept their shit close to the chest. Like you didn't want to tell your neighbor how to grow great weed because then the price of your weed is going down. So it was kind of like a, a secret industry. Now you can go on YouTube and go to these like top end growers who, you know, in Amsterdam or in Northern California, and they'll show you exactly what to do, exactly what chemicals to use, exactly when to do it. Like you can model your room. Yeah, exactly. Like you can just get, you can buy turnkey rooms now. Like my cousin is selling these things where essentially you just buy like all the stuff and put it together in your garage or in your extra bedroom or wherever the fuck you've got room for it. But essentially just turnkey. Back then, man, I there was a company that was putting out like, semi like semi tractor trailers with whole grow rooms and those are like a hundred grand back in the day and now you can put together a room for you know a couple grand and and turn out a good product it's you know i i was before i knew anything about politics i was completely against legalization like i was just a, a motocross 
you know, weed grower. Like I didn't know anything about politics. And as soon as I heard it was going legal, I was like, this is fucked. You know, I, I live in Northern California where there's no fucking industry at all. Like there's a couple restaurants. Some of the towns are like where I grew up. Cloverdale was a small town that had nothing. And then they said, oh, look, Hillsburg's making a ton of money. Let's do that. And it just didn't work. And it's not working. Like if you go north of Cloverdale in Northern California, there's nothing. People grow weed. Like that's essentially what they do. And I I knew I'm up that way. Yeah. And I knew that as soon as it went legal, that it was just going to destroy that entire area of Northern California, which it had, like it was already a desolate place. Like there's nothing there. There's a couple gas stations, a couple local bars and some local casinos. And I mean, talk about desolate. Some of the worst places in this country are are the, are the the reservations. I mean, my God. I've been to Hayfork, so (laughs) Uh, yeah. Have you been up to Hayfork in Northern California? I have not. I don't think it's uh nobody's really welcome there. But my no. buddies were going up there. Like on the way up the mountain, there was just a car that had like broken down and gotten abandoned. The locals went and flipped it over a bunch of times and shot a bunch of bullet holes. Yeah, then it, the car there is like a don't come up here. Yeah, keep so, out. Yeah, I, I know not, exactly. It, it, uh, <laughs> what was that movie? Um, you know what this means. Not welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's my, gnarly my up there, man. Friend, my wife's best friend was doing, there's a, um, a type of Asian person. Is it Hmong? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, my wife's best friend helps them with their licensing. Mm. And then she also works for a, another grow operation. And it, it's really interesting because like most of the Hmong it still is like gray market, black market. Sure. And, um, but now they're like, once again, starting to raid farms and stuff like they did back when Obama was in office. Yeah. Like all that stopped under Trump for whatever reason, which is surprising. It is. Um, they're starting to do, uh, do raids again. Yeah. It's fucked. Like I, you know, being from that area, I know a lot of people who got fucked. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who did the fucking. And it's not a, it's not a level playing field. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I know yeah, guys yeah. who've lost their families, lost their homes, lost everything. And then I know other guys who did the fucking, who are now retired living in other States going, yeah, we knew it was going to go. You know, we knew it was eventually going to go, but that was my job. So I just did it. And I just, I find that to be just disgusting. I can't tell you how many, I don't think I know anybody who's gone to tram or gone to work for a farm and got paid what they were owed. Oh, never. You never do. Yeah. Like sometimes like I knew guys who I had a buddy. I always tried to get into this room and I could never do it. It was a hundred light room. They did purple. And essentially the guy paid you a hundred bucks an hour and he actually paid you. You had to be good. I was never good enough to get in there. Like that's why I I couldn't get in there. So I wasn't good enough. But he essentially would say uh, like the last day he'd be like, all right, last hour is yours. So you just go for it and just trim all you could and pack everything you could. And they'd come out of there with a pound. Sometimes we would sit, we would do, um, they would get all, and they would get all the trim, which was, you know, worth it just for that. So we would go wintertime, Northern California, it's 50 degrees and raining. And it's like, all right, it's hash day. And you go out and you get the big 55 gallon drums, you get the big hash bags, you get the drill with the cement mixer and you just sit there all day and make water and just, and this water turns out to look like purple punch, like grape drink. And you, 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 you pull the bags and it just all drains you. And by the time you're done, you're fucking freezing. I mean, your hands are blue and we would make, we made one time we made these cookies and we ended up calling them party stoppers. And, uh, they were so gnarly. Like we ate one of these cookies and we took off to Santa Rosa, which is like 40 miles away. We were going to go to the, go to the weed store or something like that. And we get like 15, 20 miles down the road and the guy's driving's like, I'm about to fall asleep. I can't do this. And, and, uh, and the rest of us were like, we can't fucking drive. We had to pull over and sleep under an overpass and wait for somebody to come get us. Cause they were just gnarly. So we kept them in the freezer. And when you had a party and somebody was getting out of control, you just gave them a cookie and they were done in 20 minutes. They were party stoppers. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So what else you been up to? You been uh you been paying attention to politics at all? 
Uh, as little as possible, but still getting enough information. You see that uh, we're, we're locking down again? I know it. I, I didn't believe it at first. I, I was just on Zero Hedge before we came on, and the top one, the top article is Alex Jones was right. <laughs> you know, that's, I, so when that, that came out Friday, um, the Alex Jones thing, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, this is, if I was the administration, this would be a great way to float an idea see how everybody fucking pushes back and then say, oh, no, it's a crazy conspiracy guy. You know, we we never said that or whatever. But then I saw, uh, well, you, it was probably in that. I didn't go. I, I didn't, didn't read it. it. I just looked at the headline. <laughs> I saw uh, um, federal government's procuring more rapid tests. They're hiring consultants. They're getting ready for. Yeah. And, you know, lockdown. all of this is based off of wastewater testing, which is obviously fucking flawed as all hell. They're using PCR and wastewater. So who knows, like, how many cycles they're running on this shit, literally on this shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I sent a meme to my friends. And it's like uh, the Austin Austin Powers, Dr. Evil. They're not buying that the world's boiling. And then the lady that's always it says, uh, release the new COVID. Right. You know. I yeah. think a lot of what they do is just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And like, it sucks because like, I think people have kind of been lulled into sleep again. You know, every once in a while, something will pique our interest a little bit, but like this kind this lockdown stuff is kind of sneaking up on even me. Like I've been bad lately. I used to be so plugged into politics and it's just the last few months have been tough. So I've gotten back into motocross again and when you get fully into motocross, you kind of leave that stuff to the side, which is, you know, it's good for the soul, but dangerous for the country. Yeah. Yeah. But it is good for the soul. Like taking this break and, you know, only being able to spend half an hour a day on Twitter because I'm fucking driving the whole time. Yeah. I was much happier, you know, but now I'm like, it's that. And my wife's like, just put your fucking phone down for a little bit. Let's go for a walk or something. It sucks because I hate Twitter. Like I've always hated Twitter. I've never been a social media guy. I was the first guy in my town to have a MySpace. I went to Southern California at one point. Like everybody had MySpace and I brought it back to Northern California. Everybody's like, this is fucking stupid. Like what what is this crap? And I'm like, I agree. I think it's dumb. And I just never got into it. I could never pull girls off it like my buddies could. And even now, like I've got this podcast that we're not really growing Like I'm just hammering out, like hoping to grow at some point. But like, I look at like, should I go on Twitter and start hammering away and just really like kill my soul because I hate it. And like, I'm not good at Twitter either. I'm good at long form stuff. Like it takes me an hour to get a point out. So I'm not great at Twitter. I don't have a great vocabulary and I get like, it, it eats at me too much. I don't just set it and forget it type of thing. Like somebody will say something to me and then I'll reply to him. And two days later, I'm thinking I should have said this, Oh, you know, it just like eats at me. And it's like, at some point I go, is it worth having a a big podcast to do something that I hate? And so far the answer has been no. So, uh, an alternative for you, just, uh, tangentially, I guess, uh, Twitter is, pushing towards video short and long form video um perhaps because uh your podcast account i saw the list of things that they flag and stuff that just kind of gets um shadow banned or de-boosted or whatever and everything you talk about is on that list so i think going on twitter for your podcast would be any good at all um what i do think is maybe the rose content Mm. there's people making money there's people making great money on twitter now they opened up creator payments so you pay eight bucks a month and if you get five million impressions inside of three months you get paid and there's people that post you know engaging content that are getting four or five six thousand dollars a month um but they're off they're off the political spectrum like the yeah. people that are making a lot of money are just like reporting on tesla or talking about positive things yep. i so i did um i i'll send you the link i did I took a news article. I had ChatGPT summarize it. Used a company called Pictory to make a video about it, and it was about Hurricane Hurricane Hillary. Except I put some Hillary Clinton photos in. <laughs> Followers on the account. I got a hundred thousand impressions. Wow. 
Uh, and I, I, I've had a couple other, I had some fall flat. I've had a couple get like a couple thousand impressions. I haven't like figured out the formula for it, but I think that something unique that you're doing anyway um, with the flowers, like it might be one of those things where you could pick up a, you know, decent yeah. what, two months would help. That's you know? interesting. Yeah, that, that is interesting. I'm looking at it. And let me like tell you kind of, I had an idea for what I wanted this podcast to be when I started it. And it was kind of, I'm a motocross guy. I grew up racing motocross. I think that about 90% of the guys that I raced with, the guys that I rode with, the guys that I went to the track with every day are probably libertarians. They just don't know what a libertarian is. You know what? I, okay. I, I never yeah. knew what a libertarian was. I thought I was a Republican just because I hated the Democrats and I hated everything they stood for. And the Republicans were closer to what I, so I always just thought that was me. And I see this in the motocross world all the time where they'll, you know, appeal to the right wing because they think that's all that exists. So I've been yeah. doing, and it's, we've only done it for two weeks now, but I'm with another guy, we're doing one show a week where we're just covering racing. Like we're not going okay. into politics or any of that other kind of crap. Like maybe it'll like everything connects. You know what I mean? There, like there's always a mesh from one thing to another, but I think that there's a sweet spot between libertarian politics and motocross racing. And I'm trying to find it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, motocross, like I, I did the research one time and I, something like 10% of households in America own at least one dirt bike. That's oh, millions wow. of people. That is way more than I thought it would be. And you go, and then you start thinking, wow, if it's that many people who all think essentially the same way that we do, that's a massive portion of the population that could be, if you could just wake them up, they yeah. would be, a, just to realize that we've been under attack for 20 years by hardcore environmentalists and they're not going to stop. And if we acquiesce to them, dirt bikes are just going to disappear altogether. They, you know, yeah. they came after us for two strokes, two strokes, they start fires, they pollute, they make noise, blah, 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 blah. So the industry was all but happy to come in and replace them with four strokes. But what, what they didn't realize was that the, they were never going to be okay with the four strokes. This was just a move to get them to acquiesce. So essentially they went after the four strokes immediately. And now they're, you know, electric bikes is a new thing. They don't have a battery that'll last as long as the motocross race will. So I'm worried they're going to start going, well, you know, we got to go electric at some point. So let's just change racing to fit the new, the new paradigm, you know? be pretty terrible you know i um i guess on a tangent i was listening to something earlier this week how uh, china's impacting policy here by funding environmental lawsuits yeah so uh mo mostly around <clears throat> mining and precious minerals um so they're the like they produce like they outproduce us quite a bit oh yeah and the minerals that we should be because we can't go green and not uh, mine. Yeah, you can't do both. Um, the the minerals that we should be producing and pulling out of the ground here, they're funding all these environmental groups to do lawsuits to stop the actual production of these minerals to hurt us. Um, yeah. and it, it's it, like it's a siege. Crazy, it's like siege. If you were yeah. like, if you were viewing, like, if if I view you as my enemy, I would go, how am I gonna hurt him most? Let's get rid of his motorhome so we can't move. That'd be yeah. a good one. You know, that, th th that's a great way to just lay siege to your enemy. Let's just get rid of their resources altogether. And better and better yet, let's convince them that that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's pretty bananas. We've been but covered. I, I, think, I think you're somewhere with the motocross because yeah. like there's a, um, I guess a, maybe a psychological profile of somebody that would ride motocross right individualists we're individualists Individual like the, the, the thing that drew me to motocross the most was like i would play a football game and as a young kid i was not a good football player i i did not um i didn't mature fast compared to a lot of my friends i was a slow grower and that just happens for some kids some kids you know some of the guys i was playing football with in the eighth grade had mustaches and then you go back to your 20 year reunion and they're, you know, five, six and, and 160 pounds. You go, I remembered when you were big, you know, now I'm six, two, six, three, but yeah, it's, uh, 
I, I don't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> well, my, I lost uh, it. My wife, my wife looks the exact same as she did when she was 12. Oh. But when she was 12, she was taller than all the other kids. That, now she's yeah. four ten and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no. So what I was getting at was I, I'd play a football game and we were a great football team. We won everything. I think we won every game I played damn near until we were in like high school. So I would go out and I remember one game I like just totally blew coverage on, you know, the one pass play of the entire game and they just bomb on me and score this touchdown and everybody's happy at the end of the game. Everybody played great. And then it's like, we would have shut these guys out if not for me. We even shut out their two-point conversion, you know, because we were oh, yeah. a great team. So I hated the fact that, and then I would play basketball. I was a great basketball player in comparison. So I would go score, score 30 points. We'd lose the game. And it was, you win and lose as a team. And I yeah. just hated that. I would get out on the motocross bike and it was on me. If I yeah. win, if I lose, it was because I put in the effort, I didn't make the mistake, or I did make the mistake, and I liked that. And I think that there's also like a concerted effort to get rid of anything that promotes the individual. So like the the establishment never really goes after football. You notice that? Like they never really go after football. They'll kind of, oh, masculinity or this and that, but they've never really like tried to get rid of it. And I think that's because it promotes war. You've got... you know, you're, does, you're and the NFL toes the line. Yes, they uh, put, absolutely. They put eight and racism in the end zone. Like it's sure. actually going to do anything. Sure. You know? But yeah, I think it's, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You listen to the coach who has a better view of the field than you do, you know, and, and it's a direct comparison to war. You've got your soldiers, you've got your commanders and you get, you know, your people who are just standing offside, throwing people into the meat grinder because they know what's best for everyone. And I think they like that that mindset to, you know, they want you to come into the workforce thinking that you don't know anything and that if you think you know better, you should probably shut up and listen to the people, but your betters because they're your betters and they know better than you. (laughs) And that starts in preschool, right? Yeah, exactly. Pledge of allegiance elite. Like I, my family are right wingers and I, I, I try to explain them the pledge of allegiance is disgusting. Like you're pledging your allegiance to a government that hates your guts, yet you still <laughs> hate it when the leftists don't want you to do it. Like you should be good. Gr- yeah. Get rid of that. We don't want to be sending our kids into the meat grinder. I don't pledge allegiance to anybody like except my family and my friends. Like I got right. Fuck the government. <laughs> yeah. It's just blindly setting up. And yeah. It's just, so, um, I started reading a book, but I, I finished, or I like, I um, yeah. got it when I was traveling, but it was about the edu- the Prussian education system. And, oh yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard about this. So Germany was having a hard time getting kids out of school into the military. So they changed their entire education system to teach this obedience. And then we modeled our entire education system out of the same thing. So um, you know, you, you have an independent thinker at 18, he's not going to pick up a gun and go kill his neighbor. But if you start training them into that and, um, God, I might have to order that book again, just yeah. so I can finish it. Uh, I'll, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. Sure. And then uh, you get it, the, really and then you get the propaganda angle of that. Now that we have them in this position where they're just following orders, now we can just hammer them with this propaganda. And I've read somewhere that the effectiveness of propaganda falls off a cliff at like 20, 22 or 23, something like that. Like it's essentially designed for 14 through 18 year old kids. Yeah. Makes sense. Right. When, uh, but then we did all, we did all that work, um, to indoctrinate our kids. And then we turned our whole military trans. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which to me, it's like, Hey, maybe we'll do less destroying of other countries if we're worried about the, you know, gender of the person doing the destroying. It's amazing. Like when you go on to, we could go on to, I could pull up Twitter right now and I guarantee we could go to the CIA's Twitter and within five tweets, we could find something that had to do with equity or gender or some bullshit like that. Like 
and it, and the crazy thing is too is like the left wing has just totally bought into this shit. The funniest thing is like that new song. I was watching like reaction videos to Richmond, North of Richmond and these leftists freaking out about like a populist message that they should be at, you know, behind, but they're yeah. so fucking brainwashed and so broken by COVID and this propaganda system that they, they can't even hold to their own values anymore. Let, let, let's uh, go back a second on the topic of new lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Just a thought that I had, I feel like, the lockdowns and COVID are what made Trump lose, unless you're into the rig the system. Yeah, whatever. The system's but, rigged I mean, all the, the economy, time. The economy was doing really well. Like things, I think that if COVID didn't happen and the lockdowns didn't happen, Trump likely would have won. Why would they push lockdowns now when it hurt Trump and Biden's not pulling great anyway? Do they do you think that they think that it'll bring it'll unite that? fanatical wear two masks and drive alone person to you know bring out more voters or wh what do you think about that i think there's an aspect of that to it but i also you know i i read a, a an article the other day where uh, michael burry just bet 1.6 billion on the economy crashing by the end of the year so i mean they knew that at some point this economic crash was going to happen. Like Trump did a good job of, of masking it and making it look like the economy was cranking. But oh, in yeah, a sense, like if you go into the Mises, Mises, you know, theory of the master builder, it was always going to crash at some point because we didn't Absolutely. have enough shit to do it. So I think that they could also be looking at a, an upcoming economic disaster and thinking maybe we can avert this a bit by locking everybody down again and printing more money. I guess it'll help your case a little bit, but maybe <laughs> <laughs> the 600 bucks a week didn't hurt. No, I mean, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah. I, uh, have you been paying attention to the Trump indictments at all? Um, somewhat it's all just seems like a stretch. Every one of them seems like, like a stretch. And I feel like, it shouldn't be a stretch. Like if you're going to go after the leading candidate, you should have open and shut cases. Uh, but people are just so there's, there's a, a podcast called the all in podcast. And it's four. It. Okay. Um, four VCs. Um, all, they all either came from immigrant parents, like first generation American or second generation American, you know, fell off and started in the poor and ended up becoming billionaires. Like a Vivek. They, they have what's that like a Vivek Raswami? Yeah, they had Vivek on. Okay, um, so it's interesting to hear their take on that. But one of them is so fanatically hates Trump, just doesn't matter what you say, he's just lipping it out. And it's like, I understand that people don't like the guy, but it, it's almost like the guy flips, and it's like, how can people trust you as a capital allocator? If you're that blinded by rage by this one thing, um, so people are that blinded by rage. Did you see the fucking uh, the head of the grand jury in Georgia, the lady, no, with the crazy eyes? She went on like MSNBC or something, and she looks like the kind of girl that would like kill your cat and then come over and console you after. <laughs> but she has those crazy, yeah, she's like, yeah. oh, I just wanted to see what Trump had to say about that. And oh, like, I know who you're talking about. I know who yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, dude, she was wild. How could they put that person up on, uh, on an interview and think that that was going to go well for them? And then the indictment goes live before the grand jury. Yeah. Even dude, it's, it's like, so wild. I haven't like really been paying attention to it because it just, feels like another Russiagate to me. Like, I know this is more serious than Russiagate, but it just has this feel that like, I don't know, like three years from now, Trump's just going to be like fucking fist pumping and being like, beat you, beat you, beat you. You're all morons. I told you I fucking rule. Yeah. I, so fucking corrupt that it makes me want to almost root for the guy. Exactly. It's and wild. It's Trump. How can you root for him? <laughs> it's wild. Because he's another war criminal as well. Exactly. I mean, ugh. <laughs> what do you think about our our, our potential future war criminals, uh, uh, RFK and Vivek? <laughs> um, scary thing about Vivek is 
so he has old tweets like saying get the jab uh and thinking the lockdowns are a good idea and shit like that which is like really off of his messaging now yeah um but it, and it's also scary that somebody's coming out and saying everything right exactly you know like they're hating every note exactly. and then rfk has a lot of good th- actually um uh switch to democrat uh for voting just for the simple hope that maybe we can primary biden out yeah yeah <laughs> and, uh because the last thing in the world i'd love i don't want either trump or biden to be president but the last thing i want is another trump versus biden election like the way that it impacted people that i knew like one i had a friend who uh he was watching the debate and he texted me i wasn't watching it and he's like can you believe that uh trump thinks he's less racist than biden (laughs) i said have you read the crimes bill yeah Like, like he's like he wrote the law that's since Grant, the most racist law since Jim Crow. He goes, you're just race baiting me. You're just a fucking racist. Yeah. And dude, I was watching, <laughs> I was watching Vivek on the breakfast club the other day. I don't yeah. know if you caught that, but dude, no. wild. Like this woman just gives him a tongue lashing for everything he stands for, for just like, I'm going to ask you a question and then just talk shit at you for five minutes and tells you how stupid and wrong you are. And then goes, yeah. well, I guess you can't answer the question. You know, and it's like, well, fuck, you just spoke for five minutes saying how horrible it was. And then he like goes through every racist thing Biden ever does. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know, we know. And they can still sit there and be like, but you're the bad guy. There was a, uh, I'd never seen the guy before. He, I, he just popped up in my Twitter today. He got kicked out of the, uh, um, debate because he, the poll that he used was wrong, but his African-American fellow went on breakfast club and said to Charlemagne, he's like, how could you let a white man sit here and tell you that you're not black if you don't vote for him? Yeah. And he went in on him. And I was like, holy, this guy's really well-spoken, but I, and then he's not even going to get to debate. So yeah. I, I, he has no chance. I, I I don't know anything else about his platform, but it's, it's like, yeah, like yeah. let's talk about the shit that said Biden said in, as a senator or congressman or whatever, he voted against integration and he said he yeah. didn't want his city turning into a jungle. Yeah. It's, and he then he got pushed as the, as as the, the racist choice. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I believed in all of that shit for my entire life. I was a segregationist. But now, you know, I, I read 40 books on equity and I just think it's the way to go. Joe Biden, who's never read a fucking book in in his entire life, you know, (laughs) just a man. You know what? You know what makes me nervous about Vivek is that I heard uh, Clint Russell say a few weeks ago that when he interviewed him before the podcast, he goes, you know, asks him who, you you know, what are you about? What? And he goes, oh, yeah, I was a I was a libertarian in in heart while I was at Harvard. I read Rothbard and all this. I go, how the fuck? do you read Rothbard and you read all this libertarian shit and then go, you know what? I think the Republicans are right. It just seems like a a wild leap. Like, I don't know anybody who's read this shit and said, you know, I I just don't find it compelling. Like anybody who's on this side, like I I know leftists who would read it and go, this guy's out of his fucking mind, but like right wingers, I've, I've, you know, given my parents Rothbard and they read this and they go, yeah, this is, it's hard to argue with this shit. I, I, I don't understand how somebody as smart and as well-spoken as Vivek can read that shit and go, you know what? Donald Trump's the man. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, uh, I guess from like a game theory point of view, even if you don't believe it, you're not going to get anywhere as a libertarian candidate. No, you're not. So if you want a chance to win, you got to yeah. start somewhere. Okay, it's there. And then he, he he brings out, a he has a lot of good ideas. Like, there's nothing that he said that I'm like, fucking hate that. Yeah, you know? yeah. The thing yeah. I like about him and RFK is, like, we have to end this war. Yeah. We just have to. Yeah. Do you think he want? do you think Vivek wants to be the president or he wants to be Trump's vice president? I don't know. Like, and it's also like, you started a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> you, you know what I think of the pharmaceutical? You, you started selling the drugs that 
Pfizer couldn't get over the line. So who are you really? Yeah. I, I think that this is great for selling books for him. And he might just be a rich dude with fucking money to burn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have no idea what this is for him. He's like an interesting Kennedy's guy. Player. Kennedy's an interesting guy too. The thing that I like most about Kennedy, um, I've I've described it as like he's giving leftists like nigh he's like niacin for leftists. They can they can take in what he's saying and they can say, Hey, oh look, we're we're allowed to believe in freedom. We're allowed to question the pharmaceutical industry. Uh Oh, Bitcoin is good. Like these are these are things that are great. Like I've seen Jimmy Dore move in the right direction on multiple subjects just from talking with RFK and listening to him speak at different events. And I think that's an invaluable thing right now. I mean, the left wing is just so out of their freaking minds in this country that anything that we can do to push them closer to sanity is going to be a great thing. The, the biggest problem with RFK, other than him, flip-flopping on guns yeah and climate change time, is the way that media is consumed i guess up until this election he's getting on podcasts people are getting a chance to hear long form but most media is consumed in these sound bites and his voice is so fucking terrible he's hard to listen to he really is especially if you're only listening to him for 30 seconds yeah um, he's a good looking guy in great shape you know especially for his age but it's like how many cigarettes have you smoked bro you yeah know? i you know his voice doesn't really bother me. And I think he kind of is, he's really good at using it to his advantage. Okay. So he's good at letting people talk because he can't talk over them. So he kind of lets them talk themselves into a hole and he okay. can kind of swoop in and go, well, this is, this is the way. And then they also have to let him speak because yeah. it's going to come off as completely rude if you just talk over the guy. So I think he's been, really effective at utilizing podcasts. I think podcast is a great medium for him. Uh, yeah. it's, it's long. He's, he's kind of like us. Like we, I have a hard time getting a point across in, in a tweet. Like I, yeah. I kind of need to sit down and talk it through and, you know, maybe I could boil it down to a tweet after I'm done, but essentially like I need to talk things out. I need to like, hear what I'm saying, hear other people react to what I'm saying to see if I'm, you know, like I can see, you know, if you're nodding or if you're going, eh, well, maybe not type of thing. Like I, I need that. And I think that he's been very good at utilizing that. Like, I, I think he's been better at this point. Like if you're grading on media presence for the candidates, I think he's the top Vivek has been number two. And then you've got Trump. Yeah. Vivek's been really good at um, using Twitter. Yes. Like whatever the hot button topic is of the day, really pushing out a point. I think that, I mean, that's how he's been able to pass DeSantis in some pool, polls, but I, I just don't know if it's genuine. Yeah. It's wild. A couple of months ago, like maybe even a month ago, we were doing an episode, we were going through RFK and we pulled up betting, betting statistics on, you know, who's going to win. Vivek wasn't on the list at that point. And now he's jumped to Santos. So whatever he's doing has been extremely effective. I saw Patrick Bet David did some research on, on uh, Twitter to see which candidates gained the most in Twitter. And mm -hmm. Vivek has over a hundred percent Twitter followers where somebody like Mike Pence has gained nothing essentially. And I, I think where he's like, if you're trying, like, in, from a game theory perspective, if you're trying to move up in that area, he's somehow avoided coming off as a threat or a traitor or anything to Trump. So the mega people don't dunk on him and they don't shit on him. Where you have Pence and DeSantis, where the mega people are just like, you know, viciously attacking yeah. him. And so it's wild. And it's wild that like Tucker just essentially ended Mike Pence's career in a 10 second soundbite. It was yeah. beautiful. It was fucking beautiful. No, I didn't take that fucking shot. Are you crazy? <laughs> I, I don't remember if that was one, but oh, that was, it was just beautiful. And then Chris Christie, my God, they were, they were given, I couldn't believe this. They were like on a breakfast club. They were given Vivek shit. They're like, Chris Christie was the, the, the president of his, of his class 
of his class. And I'm like, dude, Chris Christie ate the class president. Who gives a shit? Like, he's a fucking class president. Who cares? Fucking Chris Christie. I, I think it's very rude to call Chris Christie a fat slob. I would never do something like that. <laughs> what, what do you think of uh, or about Trump skipping the debate? Smart. And doing, releasing something with Tucker at the exact same time. Fucking smart. I think it's Those brilliant. numbers are going to be insane. Because, like, even if you watch the debate, you're probably going to go watch, go back and watch Trump anyway. Whereas the debate's going to get their ratings just based off of live instead of replays for the most part. And the Trump thing is just going to get shared and watched by everybody. So he might double or triple the numbers that the debate get. Yeah, and he's showing that he's being, that he's more savvy with alternative media this time around than he was the first time. Like the first time, I don't remember him doing a lot of podcasts or he was just good at Twitter. He was great at Twitter and he was great at just being in your face all the time. Like he was just so good at that. And I feel like traditional media, the corporate press has, they're no longer in your face all the time anymore. Like, I think yeah. that the, that is reserved more for podcasts at this point. Whatever Tucker's doing, I guess it's a podcast, whatever. Like, I, I don't know if the numbers that he's getting on Twitter are real or not, but I know that he's getting huge numbers. Whether they are real or not, like, if we're arguing well, over 100 million or 30 million, it's like, okay, whatever. There's a shitload of people watching this. Well, the thing is social media sites the standard for a video play is six seconds yeah crazy so i'd be curious to see what like of that hundred million how many people watched it for two minutes how many people watched it to completion because those numbers are pretty they're made up for advertisers absolutely yeah and and you know what do you think about elon musk i i've i've always been skeptical of uh you know the guy's essentially a socialist who wants to put a computer chip in your brain, but he likes free speech, so he's right-wing. I think that's a very useful tool for the establishment to now shift the Overton window to a point where a socialist billionaire who wants to put chips in your brain is now right-wing. <laughs> and this new this new head of Twitter, CEO of Twitter that he put in, I mean, not good. Oh, I mean, straight from the WEF. Yeah. Not good. So I, I'm really torn because I was like pretty fuck this guy for quite a while. Cause all of the money that he makes is from government. They can end him with the swipe of a pen subsidies for Tesla, uh, government contracts for SpaceX. SpaceX, boring company. That's all, you know, government subsidized. Yep. He's a socialist. Um, yeah. So he's made all of his money. Right. Well, not all of his money because, you know, PayPal, he did well. And then he talks about this vision of Twitter to be the every, or X now, to be the everything app like WeChat. Well, WeChat is the driver of your social credit, credit score. You know, like all of your messaging and all of that happens yeah. through their digital idea, your digital currencies, all of that is like controlled by the Communist Party. And he's trying to build that. Yeah, it's that. crazy. And like, so for short term, I see it as helpful to get free speech out there, but I see that this could be like a real detriment to society in the long run. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and calling it X was not a good move. I still can't find the fucking thing on my home screen every time I try to open it up. I swear, where the fuck is my Twitter button? <laughs> he, that was PayPal's original. Yeah. It was X.com and then it wasn't working. So then he, you know, so he founded it and yeah. then eventually rolled into PayPal and he's like, I'll keep X.com. I'm going to push this through. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. He's weird. I, yeah. Every time I, I had, a, I early on, I went on Sam Tripoli's podcast during the, during the pandemic. And the most controversial thing I said on that podcast was that Elon Musk could already have a Neuralink and everybody. Flew, oh, he doesn't have a Neuralink. Oh, it's like, dude, the guy talks so fucking weird. Like everything he does is weird. He does these weird pauses his persona on Twitter is nothing like the guy you see in an interview. Like, I don't know if he's got writers, if somebody else does his Twitter, but like I read some of his tweets and I go, this guy, this is not the same guy that I watched take a 10 second pause for every question on Joe Rogan. This is just weird. Yeah. 
And I always I, thought like maybe he's maybe he's doing research. Maybe he's frame jacking away in that head of his with his little with his little freaking Neuralink and people are even people could, you know, be pushing him things to say. Who knows? Like, I don't think he actually does have one, but like if I found out that he did, I would not be surprised at all. What's interesting is so you get media coaching, even like I was starting to get media coaching with a company that was doing like 8 million in revenue. So like, imagine the amount of coaching and handlers that he has. I think Twitter is actually him. So all the media coach, you see it on TV or on Joe Rogan. That's him. Like the trained robot Yeah. Um, on Twitter. He's like, thinks shit's funny. Yeah. He's like so whimsical and things like that. Maybe um, he is fun to hang out with. I don't know. Like he doesn't seem like he would be a good hang. Yeah. Like he just seems like he would be weird and boring and he'd be talking about weird shit at the bar that like nobody is like, if you went to the bar with Elon Musk, you, I think you would have like, you would build it up like, Oh, I'm going to go hang out with Elon tonight. This is going to be great. And I think then you'd get home and be like, that was fucking weird. Like, I don't know what just happened, but it was weird. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I got to hop off. Soon. Sure, man. We're good. We're 56 minutes. How's the book doing? And we'll get out of here. Um, it, it was a cool experiment. I, I really, um, taking this job and taking this trip, I haven't worked on promotion at all. So it's just on me. You know, I was starting to, I was exploring maybe, uh, uh, I almost hired a podcasting agency and they, they did it just a shit job. Uh, at representing who I was and that yeah. sort of thing. So I was able to get, I get out of that. I get horrible messages from those people all the time where it's like, I love your podcast and you talk about great things. And we think that this person who loves ESG and climate change would be perfect on your podcast. And I'm like, fuck you, man. <laughs> perfect for me to destroy. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, so, I, so I haven't worked much on it. Um, it. It was a cool experiment. And, you know, I got to have conversations like this, which yeah. has been a lot of fun. Yeah. I made couple couple thousand bucks off of that hey, overall and then it was worth it and it was worth yeah. it you know you you opened up a different world for me i've been writing a sci-fi book well i haven't actually like writing the book i'm doing more of like the outline and shit like now and i never thought yeah. to use chat gpt for but it's been an invaluable resource it's so That's much easier to do problem. research because it's just poignant you know like i'm, I'm looking into stuff like about the younger dryas and it's it's going to be a weird book so like a lot of this stuff is hard to research and you have to spend a lot of time going through articles and that chat GPT has been a very good resource at narrowing things down. Um, I'd encourage you to check out the summarize articles. So it, you have to go through all these articles. You can get, you know, a two, 3000 word article summarized into 10 bullet points and probably get the information that you're looking oh, for. That's out cool. Of 10 bullet points. That's freaking cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get out of here. We'll get you on the road and we'll, we'll, we'll talk again in the next couple of months. This was fun. We'll yeah. Do yeah. Let's do this every couple of months. I had yeah, a great time. Absolutely. I did a, I did a, a corporate podcast earlier and um, it was a big, a big uh, New York Sox exchange company, their CMO. And I'm like, man, I can't wait till this podcast. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Just have like, fun. Yeah, man. I've been, I've been, we've been doing good with finding, finding good people. We, I got a guy, Michael Storm, who's uh he's a fun anarchist i'd love to get both of you guys on we'll do steel and storm at some point that'd be fun i want to bring my uh other one-armed friend on too absolutely that'd be great anytime anytime yeah um, maybe we'll set that up in a month or so but he's uh he was working for like a delta 8 company uh he built their brand for him then he went out on his own he's doing marketing but he's anarchist one arm doesn't have the the uh, superpowers that you do, but he also produces some pretty cool music that's not very popular. Oh, oh did awesome. you guys, did you do porch tour? No. So I think what happened was Robbie saw the email and went, "Oh, cool! I can drive there after Sandpoint." And then he put it into MapQuest and went, "No, thank you." <laughs> so yeah, he told me he was coming, and then he was like, "I don't know. It's a long drive." So I think it ended up just being too long of a drive for him. So next year, I'm going to do a big. Uh, barbecue at my house for like a harvest barbecue. So I've got a big garden and we're going to be doing stuff. Oh, cool. So I'm going to try and get like a band out and we'll do a big harvest barbecue. So I'll let you know and hopefully you can make it out. Uh, yeah. I'll send you that book about the Prussian schools. Oh yeah. yeah. Think about the Twitter video for Rose. I'm going to, you know, I've been at, yeah. I've been like, I'm kind of at the point right now where I've put a lot of money into this podcast, thousands and thousands of dollars. 
And I've kind of been like, I don't want to spend any more money on it until I feel like I'm spending it for a good reason. Yeah. You know, you know, this is kind of in the weeds. So let's get out of here. We'll, we'll talk again in a couple months. This has been great. Thanks again, man. It was great talking. Go buy his book. He needs to make the goddamn money to fix his awning on the, on the friggin' motor home. (laughs) Good night. We'll see you later.